Y'all may know I have an aversion to healthy things like fruit and vegetables. We're going to talk about fruit for a second. So I try to avoid them at all costs. But there is something great. There's this great principle that comes out of fruit is, you know, you plant an apple tree and an apple tree grows up and then an apple tree creates apples. And for those of y'all that like fruit, you get to eat apples. But it also does something else. It gives you the seed to plant another apple tree. And I think that's a great parallel to the Christian life that as God plants his life in us, as he arrests death and gives us life, when he plants his life in us, there's fruit. But there's not just fruit. There's the seeds of the next generation of Christ followers that has been planted into each of us as well. And so the question is, are we people with God's life in us and fruit comes out? And are we people with God's life in us where the seeds of the next generation are being planted by us for God to raise up new followers of Jesus? Let's pray and then we're going to jump into 2 Timothy 2, uh, 1 through 7. So, Father, I pray that in this room today you would arrest death in someone's life. And by your love, you'd plant life in its place. That you'd awaken from death to life. You'd awaken from darkness into the kingdom of your dearly loved son. But God, among those you have already redeemed, I pray especially that you would pull out the seeds of the next generation from us. That you would let us embrace that it's our turn. That the life you've given us isn't just for us, it's for others. It's for others to follow you with more passion, and it's for others who don't know you, who war against you, who are enemies of yours, dead in their sins and trespasses. It's for them to come alive and to become your children instead. And so, Father, that's going to take a supernatural work in us. It's going to take more than my feeble words could ever do. And so I ask that you would do it. By your spirit, by your eternally strong word, that you would do it in me and you would do it in us, that we would be fruit bearers and we'd be seed planters and we would see generations of people rise up to declare your praises all over the globe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Second Timothy because I'm on vacation. Hi, I'm the visiting speaker today. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just taking a little brief time out from our series because I'm not here today and we're going to do just uh, one on discipleship. So I think it's probably pretty timely that we talk about reproducing disciples. And Second Timothy is the book by Daddy Paul as he is passing off the scene. He is about to be poured out as a drink offering, meaning his life's about to be taken from him and that life poured out as an offering to God over those he leaves behind, especially his son in the faith, Timothy. And so he's encouraging Timothy, and Timothy is, is facing, he's seeing Paul suffer, and he's seeing other faithful followers of Jesus suffer, and he's seeing the opposition that's coming from within the church. And the, the thought is, is that Timothy is beginning to grow timid or weak, that he's getting to the place where he does not have one more fight in him. And so Paul is writing to steal the spine of his son in the ministry so that he stays faithful and continues the work that Paul leaves behind now that Paul is going to die and go to his eternal reward. 
And so Paul reminds him suffering's part of the Christian life. Paul reminds him there's this precious word, gospel word that has been deposited into your life. And that precious word has to be guarded. And that precious word has to be passed on so that it's available for other people to come alive by. And that's going to take some hard work. And so he says, here, I'm Paul. Look at my example. Keep going. I've suffered. You're going to suffer. You can do this. He uses the example of a guy, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, Onesiphorus. Look at his example. And then he says, here's some people that turned away from the faith. Don't do that. All to lead up to this portion here where Timothy, here's what ministry looks like. And it's not full-time professional ministry. Here's what following Jesus and serving others looks like is what he's saying in this passage. So all believers, here's what following Jesus looks like. Here's the hardship that's going to come with it. And at the end of it, Here's the Jesus to remember that makes it all worth it. And so let's read the text, and then we'll, we'll go in from there. And so in chapter 2, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now I want to go further because I want you to see the context. I want you to see how do you go work hard like a farmer? How do you go die like a soldier to yourself and your comforts? And how do you rigorously discipline to win the prize? Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as though a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless... He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if you look at the back of your bulletin some days, we have statements on there that are vision and mission statements. And hopefully they've not faded so far into the background that you've forgotten them. Maybe they're just a little rusty. But it is genuinely our goal for those not just to be on paper, but to actually work out in the life of the church. That we together desire to see the glory of God enjoyed and spread from here to the ends of the earth. And we believe that will happen biblically, and we believe that will happen practically if we make reproducing disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until Jesus comes back. And the three marks that we have listed that we believe are the categories of reproducing disciples, meaning if these are part of the heart and wiring of your life, you will reproduce yourself. Treasure Christ supremely. That every other treasure in your life is increasingly fading, increasingly finding its place underneath the supreme treasure that is Jesus. And so we've had a a whole year of, here, have meaningful time in the Word daily. We've got a reading plan to have meaningful time in the Word daily. We've got um, groups that are supposed to meet together to have meaningful time in the Word daily. 
and prayer. Have meaningful time with God. So here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done. Here's who we are. Pour out your heart based on those things. Talk to the Father based on those things. Praise the Father for those things. Thank the Father for those things. And so prayer and the word going hand in hand so that we treasure Christ. And then we had a six-month focus on going deeper with one. And guys, I'm just going to brag on the ladies for a second. We have over 30 women involved in micro groups or deeper with one groups. Over 30 ladies. Over a third of the women of this church. Guys, we got some catching up to do. So there are some guys meeting in these groups, but we want to increase that. Why? Because in relationship, showing the word to each other, exposing our hearts and lives to each other, and placing a very specific word of Jesus into those places of our lives is one of the tools God has to make us more like Jesus. And so we treasure Jesus. We value relationships. Fostering genuine relationships of growth and change. Not genuine relationships of just football and chicken wings. Although, anytime you want to have me for football and chicken wings, I'm okay with that. Just make them good ones, okay? Don't give me all these fancy flavors. Give me chicken wings with buffalo sauce that's just spicy enough. And invite me over. We'll have a good time. But it meaningful relationships. That Those are the context that God uses. That I want to help people love Jesus more and they help me love Jesus more. And then engaging the lost in word and indeed, and that has been this whole year's focus. Who can you bless? Who can you serve? Who can you eat with? Who can you spend time with? Who is in the circles of your life at work or the circles of your life where your kids play ball or the circles of life where you're in class or the circles of life and the hobbies that you have that you could intentionally walk towards with blessing and eating and serving with the goal of planting the truths of Jesus into that relationship very intentionally. And so we believe if these things will be part of your life and part of your wiring, not part of just your checklist to do, but part of the wiring of your life, we believe that you will make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we find that very biblical. Look at the text in front of us. Make reproducing disciples rooted in the gospel. Make reproducing disciples rooted in the gospel. The rooted in the gospel is that part that we're not covering. But he's not just telling you be a good soldier. He's saying remember Jesus. And if you remember Jesus well, you'll go into battle and you'll live your life for him. Remember Jesus. Discipline yourself like an athlete. Rigorously clamp down your life to follow. The only way you'll do that though is if you remember Jesus. And he says... You be a soldier, be an athlete, he says, be a hardworking farmer. Labor till absolute, total exhaustion. Nothing less will do. The only way you'll be able to do that is if you remember Jesus. Let's look at it. Be faithful to receive and reinvest God's truth. Be faithful to receive and reinvest God's truth. Um, I was listening to David Platt one time, and a statement he made has really stuck with me. I, I can't quote it exactly, but the, the principle of it really struck me and has just remained and rattled around in my heart for, for years now. And his statement was, listen to a sermon like you're going to go and teach that sermon. Listen to a sermon like you're going to go and teach that sermon to someone else. And I thought, what a great thought. And it doesn't just apply to sermons, it applies to read your Bible in a way that you're going to absorb from it, but you're also going to go take and teach somebody this. You know, do your quiet times, do your Sunday school class lessons that way, and engage in your Sunday school time that way, and sermons just across the board. Because we tend to listen, and it's kind of maybe we're a little distracted, and it's one of those weeks where we don't pay a lot of attention. Or on those good weeks, we tend to listen, and you're like, what can I get from this? What does God want to say into my life? How can I be encouraged by this? How can I be challenged by this? How is God changing me by this? And that's great. But what if we just flipped the switch on and said, yes, I want to be encouraged by this word. And I want to be nourished by this word. And I want to be challenged by this word. 
But I also want to take this word and see how this word could be planted in the lives of people around me. How might God, by the Spirit, use this word to encourage someone else also, to challenge someone else also, to nourish someone else also? So listen, read, study, go to Sunday school in a way that you receive the word for yourself, but also you look for what, how is this word going to be used by God and the Spirit to help someone else also? Receive and reinvest God's truth. So Timothy has this sacred trust given to him in the word and the gospel. He's been given this gospel ministry uh, by, by God, by the laying on of hands uh, in, in the first chapter. And in the course of this receiving of the gospel word and receiving of the gospel ministry, suffering came up. Can you imagine that? It got hard. Can you imagine that? It's not easy. Can you imagine that? And he found out along the way, God's people bite sometimes. And he found out along the way, there are people who want to distort the truth of this word. We call that heresy. They want to bend the truth and they want to change the truth to their own likings. And we find that, you know, the people in that culture don't really like it. And so hardship comes with it. Suffering comes with it. Opposition comes with it. And Timothy has found himself in a place where he's a little worn out with all of that. And so uh, Paul is like, don't remember the Holy Spirit did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power. And so Paul's like, come on, you can do this. And hey, look, I've suffered. I'm about to die for this. You're going to suffer. That's normal. That's part of the deal. It's not weird when you suffer. But you kind of get the sense that Timothy doesn't have another fight left in him. Like one more and he's done. And so Paul is like, you have got this sacred trust and you've got this ministry and you've got this Jesus press on. Don't turn back. Don't quit. And so he says, therefore, or then, my child then, which is really therefore, based on, hey, there's people that have turned back. Don't be those guys. There's this guy who has been faithful, and I have been faithful. Instead, be strengthened like we've been strengthened by the grace of God. And so he's challenged him. Here's where your power comes from. But before he does that, look what he reminds him. He reminds you and he reminds me and he reminds Timothy. Discipling relationships are not classroom relationships. They're not student, professor, or I'm sorry, they're not professor, teacher, student, underling, understudy. It is a father-son. It is a family relationship in which we disciple. So it is not let's go to the classroom, let's sit in the classroom, let's get instruction. It's let's go into life together. Let's love each other. Let's bind our lives together and let's use those relationships that we have, in this case, father to son, to pass the gospel on in that case. So, son Timothy, son Timothy, be strengthened. I don't want to see you fall. Be faithful. I'm gone. I'm not going to be there anymore. Be faithful. And so look what he says. Be strengthened. That is a passive word, not that you care. It is a passive word that means you must be strengthened from the outside of you in, not strengthened by pulling up your bootstraps and figuring it out on your own and finding your own strength deep within yourself. Be strengthened by something else. Be empowered by God. Be empowered by the grace of God. And so it talks about be dependent on God for your strength because I know you don't have another fight in you. Be dependent on God for your strength because I know you're scared. Be reliant on God and dependent on God because I know it's hard and I know you're facing opposition. So be strengthened by God. And so the same challenges or the same encouragement is to you. 
Let God strengthen you by depending on him instead of being weak in yourself or tired in yourself or even doing well in yourself because that will eventually run out. So be ongoing, be continually strengthened how? By the grace of God in your life. You see, I think we really weaken our Christian lives by only giving half of the definition of grace to each other. And so half of the definition of grace is your sins are forgiven. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. By grace you are saved through faith and it's not of your works lest anyone should boast. And that will forgive you of your sin and you'll sin today and it will forgive you of that sin. And every sin, past, present, and future for all of your life will be covered by the grace of God by the work of Jesus. Yes. But that's only half of it. Grace is also a forceful power in your life to war against sin. Grace is also this power, this enablement of God to follow, this enablement of God to be holy, this enablement of God to run after him. And so be strengthened by grace. Your sins are forgiven. Be strengthened by grace to go back into the fight, to be changed, to make a difference in the world because it's a force, it's a power of God found in Christ Jesus. And so he says, be strong in the grace. And at this point in Timothy's life, there's not a Bible yet. There's an Old Testament, not a full New Testament yet. And so there's not a gospel word preserved. There's not a book preserved yet. There's some letters and and they're beginning to be compiled. But at this point, there's no Bible. And so in the church where Timothy serves and in the city where Timothy serves, there is heresy that is running rampant. And it is pulling the church in all these different directions. And so before the Bible is formed, the potential for, for the gospel word and the word about Jesus to be perverted is now rampant. So what are we going to do? How is there going to be, if we take the word and change it, and if we take the word and compromise it, and if we take the word and bend it, how is there going to be a word that gives life to anybody left? There's not a book yet. And so Paul says this to Timothy. In that case, here is how the word is preserved for every generation. Here's how the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus and the beauty of who he is and the wonders of what he has done. Here's how it is going to be preserved and here's how it's going to be passed on. And he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. What's the what? It's the gospel word. It's the word about Jesus. It's the word about what he has accomplished. So what you have heard from me And guys, this is a great challenge for the church today. Even though we have the book, we kind of pretend like we don't. Because I can be a little more creative than, you know, the book's a little dusty. I can be a little more innovative. I can, well, I can't. Some people can be a little more innovative and some people can just be cool enough that, hey, we don't need the book too much. I've got some really great stories to tell. We don't need the book too much. I can make a great rousing emotional appeal to you. We don't need the book that much. What a danger. What you've heard from me, even if you think it's boring, I hope you don't. What you've heard from me in the gospel word, that's your message, Timothy. Now, yeah, if you want to take the message and present it in a way that is hearable and understandable, yeah. But if you want to take the message and you've got something better than the message and better than the gospel and better than the word, don't do it. What you've heard, this book, what you've heard, pass it on. Students, one day... You're going to be where I am. I know it's hard to believe. Not pastoring necessarily, but you're going to be where I am in age one day, and it's going to be yours. And you will be the ones who have influence over the church, and you will be the ones leading in churches, and you will be the ones who are the guardians at the gate, and you'll be the one that the word has been entrusted to. And you'll even leave from here, and you'll go to other places, and you'll have small realms of influence, 
And so the question is, is will you be a guardian of the book? Will you be someone who believes the word is enough? Will you be someone that believes that Leviticus is better than the most moving story that I could think up on my own? Will you believe that the book is sufficient? Will you believe the book will give life to people? Will you guard the purity? Will you preserve the book in the face of a culture that hates the book? Because it will be yours one day. It'll be yours to pass on now, but it'll also be yours one day to entrust. Because if we, the the gospel word is only a generation from being extinguished. And yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The book will last through all eternity. But being erased from the experience of a culture, it's only a generation away. At any point. And it will be handed over to you like Paul handed it over to Timothy. Will it be in safe hands? Hands that love it. Not just hands that just, okay, yeah, it's good and I like studying it, but hands that love this book. And love this book enough to suffer for it. And love this book enough to tell people about it. And love this book enough so that other people will love it, not just take it from you. What you've heard from the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. The word entrust is the word that means to take something very valuable and place it in the care of another. So I don't have one of these. Maybe I should. Safe deposit box. All right. And so a safe deposit box is I take my most valuable papers. A fire would ruin me if these papers burned up. And I place them in the care of this bank, in the care of this box for its protection and security. That's entrusting. Or I don't have any. Sorry, Amy, you don't have any either. Really expensive jewelry. We can't just leave that laying around the house. What if something happens, right? And so we go to the safe deposit box. We place it in the care of the bank in the security of this box, and it's protected for us. That's what the word means. You have a gospel word given to you. It has been entrusted to your care. It is precious. It is life-giving. It tells you who Jesus is. It tells you what he's accomplished on your behalf and on behalf of the people you're talking to. And so it's been entrusted to you. It's been put into your care. Are you going to be a faithful person with that and that's the qualification of who you pass the word on to so will i be someone that has taken the stewardship of the word and i'll care for it and i'll love it and then will i pass it on to who faithful men and women faithful people that's the qualifier it's not why i pass it on to pastors not why i pass it on to seminaries that's fine not why i pass it on to sunday school teachers why i pass it on to whoever will be faithful that with that word and so if you're wondering like hey i'm a little busy i don't know if i have a lot of time for all of this what do i do with the limited time i have what do i do with the limited relationships i have who do i give it to this is the first or one of the primary ways you would decide who you give the word to Or who you give your life in the word to. Are they faithful? And so you might ask yourself, if you meet in discipling relationships with other people, or you're reaching out to other people, you might ask yourself, are they faithful? Meaning, do they show up having read what we said we're going to read together? Not every time, but, you know, most of the time. Do they show up having encountered God with that? Do they show up having kind of applied themselves to that word that's been given out? And the assignments that you've kind of had together, are they faithful? And do you see in them the ability to go and give that to someone else at some point? So will they be faithful to do something with it, apply it, think about it, study it, come ready? And will they be faithful over time to then pour it back out into someone else? You've only got a limited amount of life to give out. Give it out to people who are going to do something with it. 
And that's not talking about your friendships. And yes, we're part of a church and we're part of groups within that church. But when you have that marginal life that I'm going to give my life to someone at this point, give your lives to people that are going to do something with it, who are going to come having applied themselves to it. Faithful men. And one of the other marks is that they'll be able to teach others also. And you're thinking, I'm not a teacher. Erase that from your mind. It's not talking about teaching as in you stand in a pulpit and preach. And it's not talking about teaching as in you get in a classroom and teach 12 or 20 people. It's talking about will you, life on life, take the word that you have and give it to someone else? Are they going to be faithful to pass it on? Are they going to be faithful that when you invest a precious deposit into their life, over time, eventually, they're going to invest that deposit into someone else also? Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you look at it, four generations are found in this text. Paul, to his son Timothy, to the faithful men and women who are going to invest it in others also. Receive the word. Love the word. And I hope if you, if you leave Fletcher with nothing else but this, I hope you will love this book and cherish this book and believe this book so that it becomes what you build your life on. And you don't walk away from it ever. Faithful men are those who will guard this word and preserve it for all the generations to come. And they're ones who will take it and they'll pass it on to others. Receive and reinvest. The second step we'll take in our process. Be ready to suffer and strive to accomplish the mission. Be ready to suffer and to strive to accomplish the mission. Uh, I was looking up quotes. A guy named, an old president named Roosevelt said this. Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I never in my life envied a human being who had an easy life. Nothing worth having is easy, guys. I don't envy people who have never been marked by God. Even though there's times I wish I weren't marked by God, right? And you probably have that same experience if you've ever been marked by God through hurt, suffering, opposition, or hardship. Man, it's not, I don't want it. But I wouldn't trade it now that it's happened. And that's what I think we see happening here in this text is anything worth having is worth fighting for. Anything worth having is going to have hard stuff attached to it. Anything worth having takes work and sweat and labor and effort. And that's exactly what these three images that he puts out in the text says. If you want to thrive, it is going to take single tough minded devotion, focused devotion. It is going to take rigorous self-discipline. And it is going to take work till you drop, work till you're tired, work till you sweat kind of effort if you're going to make an impact. And so he uses these these images to encourage Timothy to stay faithful. He uses these images to say this is what the ministry life looks like. Not professional, not full time. Every single follower of Jesus who wants to love people and serve people and meet with people and care for people. This is what it looks like. You're going to war. You're going into the fields where you're going to get callous, blistered hands as you get up before the sun comes up and you work and you work and you work. You are going to be like that athlete that you are not winning the championship if you don't give every ounce of effort you have in your life to get there. If you don't discipline your body and discipline your diet and discipline your training routine and discipline your practice time, you're not going to get there. And if you don't like a soldier who is just tough-minded, one focus and one focus only because there are bullets flying and it matters, if you can't get there, that's what it takes for ministry to thrive. That's what it's going to take in your life and in your family's life if you want ministry to thrive. And so let's look at these images. 
to describe ministry life. If you want to be effective, if you want to make an impact, it's going to take those things. So share in suffering as a good soldier. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Look just after our passage, verse 9 of chapter 2. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But guess what? The word of God's not bound. Do you see that? Share in suffering. What he's encouraging Timothy is the opposition you're facing is not weird. It's biblical. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not weird. It's biblical. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Guys, I'm sorry if nobody told you that. Like, I really am sorry if somebody gave you a gospel that did not have suffering attached to it. Because it's not the real one. You're in a fallen world, and you're in battle with a fallen world. And so I'm sorry if nobody told you, look, it's going to be hard. There's going to be trials attached to this. There's going to be opposition attached to this. There's going to be hurt and pain that will be along the road of Calvary. But remember Jesus. Remember Jesus and the gospel I preach to you. Remember that even if you're faithless, he is faithful because he can't deny himself in you. Share in suffering. And so he's saying, Timothy, join in with the fellowship of the sufferers that you're now a part of. Share in that suffering with us. And he uses the imagery of a good soldier. The ministering lifestyle has a lot in common with a war lifestyle. If you would like to serve people, and it's not really a choice because you're called to it. It's not really a choice you're saved to. And it's not really a choice because all who believe in Jesus are followers of Jesus. All who followers of Jesus are are servants of people and servants of Jesus. And so it's kind of required but if you're going to do that, it's going to be a war time. and It's going to have a lot more in common with war than peace. And so share in suffering like a good soldier. Share in suffering with this single-minded devotion. And Paul's like, please do not long for the peacetime days. Please, Timothy, don't get your mind distracted by the peacetime days. That's the kind of stuff that gets you killed. So don't do it. Soldiers have this singular devotion. And Paul's like, have a tough-minded, single-hearted devotion to Jesus That's what it takes because no soldier in the middle of battle has any other thought than how do I please my commander? And in our case, how do I please the one who bought me with the blood of his cross? How do I please the one who has loved me to himself by his own death? How do I please the one whom, though I was his enemy, eternally destined for destruction apart from him, who has now made me alive and made me his child? How do I please that one? No soldier has any other concern than how to please his commander. And so with tough-minded, single devotion, you go to war every single day. Because as soon as you enter the Christian life and as soon as you enter the ministering life, it's a war life. And it has a whole lot more in common with war than it does with peace. The second image, uh, devoted, focused, suffering, like a soldier and then rigorously disciplined. The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Hopefully you're reading along with us in our reading plan. And one of my favorite books is Hebrews. And then one of my favorite passages, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. As we walk out of this life into the next, we join the sidelines 
the stands cheering for those who are still on the race, cheering for those who are still on the field of battle, still on the field competing. We become the spectators now, cheering them on, this great cloud of witnesses. And so since that's true, let us lay aside the weights, not the sins. Let us lay aside the distractions. Let us lay aside the things that keep us from running well, that hinder us, and the sin which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run with endurance? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how we run and when it's tiring. That's how we run when we want to quit. That's how we finish those last ten minutes of a game, of the last ten minutes of our life, is that we look to Jesus, the one who has authored and perfected our faith, and we keep pressing on until he calls us up and we receive the crown. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what he's saying. Rigorous self-discipline to compete in the race in a way that wins the prize. I was looking this up this week. I coach soccer a little bit. Not necessarily well, but I do it. And uh, so I was looking this up just thinking that's a great analogy. And I found this about soccer. To be a master or to be at an elite level in soccer, there is a 10,000 hour rule. Meaning... You have to put 10,000 hours worth of work and effort and practice to master the game of soccer. So the elite players, they have done that. Let me break that down for you. 20 hours a week for 10 years is what it takes to master the sport. You're not going to do that because of willpower. You're not going to do that because, hey, I get to hang out with my friends when I do it. The only reason you would ever give 10,000 hours of your life to master a sport is because you love it. And your heart beats for it. And you are passionate about it. Would you make the 10,000 hour rule in Christianity? The only way you're going to press forward when it's hard. The only way you're going to press forward not to master it. That's heaven. But the only way you're going to press forward into skillful ministry. Into life giving ministry. Into impactful ministry. It's not going to be because of your willpower. It's not going to be because it's fun to gather with people here on Sundays. It is only going to be because your heart beats for Jesus like an athlete who is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules that's what ministry life is like that's what it's like to multiply yourselves in disciples who will multiply themselves in disciples who will multiply themselves into disciples as your heart beats for Jesus and so your heart beats for Jesus's people and you give your life to that and you have so self-disciplined your life that your attitudes are shaped by that your actions are shaped by that your priorities are shaped by that your whole life revolves around it Like, go look at a professional athlete's diet. Go look at their workout routine. Go look at their practice schedule. They give their lives to that. Do we give our lives, because our hearts beat for Jesus, do we give our lives to rigorous self-discipline so that we will win the prize? The prize of impact, the prize of the harvest, the prize of disciples who make disciples who make disciples that will follow us into eternity as long as there's a world until Jesus comes back. And then the hardworking farmer is the first to share in the crop. So the priority of pay, and yes, pay is in the text. The priority of pay goes to the hard worker, not the lazy. The priority of pay goes to the one who shows up at dawn and works until dusk, who as long as there's daylight is working, as long as there's daylight creating the environment for the crops to grow, creating the environment for the Life to happen. And so there is nothing in the Bible that talks to us the way we like to talk about a more balanced life. 
There is a life of sacrifice for others. And how that sacrifice looks and how that labor looks is defined by the Bible in a lot of different categories. But the fact that your life should be poured out for others is not ever questioned. The fact that your life should be hardworking and sacrificial, the fact that you should labor to the point you're absolutely exhausted for the sake of others is never questioned in the Bible. Like there's never another side to the story in that. A hard-working farmer is the first to partake of the crops. So the outcome of his labors, the way a farmer makes his living is the crops. The pay that comes from being a farmer is the crops. And it's the one who has given his life to hard work in the harvest that gets to take the first share of the harvest into his life. And so what's the pay? Is it money? Not usually. Is it fame? Not usually. Is it everybody clapping for you? No, not usually. The payday generally is that when you walk out of this life into the next, into the eternal reward of your father, that's when payday comes. That's when the crown of righteousness is given to you. The crown of life is given to you. That's when the rewards of Jesus are given to you. And you realize all the labor was worth it. And it's a hard worker who walks into heaven, not the lazy worker who walks into heaven, that will get the first and the best share of the crops that are there. Rigorous self-discipline. Hard work. Focus. Now, you may think I'm talking about works righteousness now, but remember, it's God in you who wills and works according to, uh, who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So it is a sovereign God who creates in you the work, and it is your part to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, working out your salvation with fear and trembling looks like this. So here's the paradox of the Christian life, right? I rest from all my works because of the work of Jesus. All right, I'm good with that. I rest from all my works because of the work of Jesus. I have no more works to give. But because of the work of Jesus that I rest in, I work harder than anybody else. That's the Christian life. That's the paradox. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to strive under the weight of sin anymore. I don't have to earn God's favor anymore. I don't have to wear myself out by over and over doing more. And maybe God will be happy with me eventually if I just work hard enough for him. It's gone. I can just lay down in the grace of Jesus and rest for all of my security and all my righteousness and all my acceptance. Which makes me want to get up and run with all that I have for the sake of his kingdom. And all that I have for the sake of his people. And all that I have for the people that don't know him. It makes me want to give my life to the point of death for the sake of others. Because he has given his life to me and secured eternal life for me. Yeah? No? Why are you all so quiet? Am I getting too worked up for you? I'm scaring you. Okay. Jesus has given me eternal rest so I can work like that person who gets to rest in him. The soldier doesn't get entangled with the affairs of this life. He doesn't take his mind or his eye off the, of the, the battle. The athlete rigorously de, de, uh, disciplines his life because the prize is out there. The championship is out there. The reward is out there. And the hardworking farmer gets up and goes to work and never stops. Because the crops are coming. The pay is coming. The impact is coming. The eternal ripple of that labor is coming. If you want to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, we preserve this truth, this book that you've been given. We love it. We pass it on. 
Do you want to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples until Jesus comes back? I'll just go ahead and give you fair warning. Look at the text. It's going to be like going to war because you are in war, by the way. It's going to look like you can't be pulled back. You can't be distracted by the stuff of this world. Because your aim is to please the one who's brought you from death to life. If you want to do that, it's going to look like rigorously discipline yourself for the task. And it's going to look like working. Let's look at a few practical things as we close out. First, examine your priorities and eliminate distractions. Good is the enemy of best. And that is the great problem of American Christianity. Good is the enemy of best. There is endless good things that you can be about. Endless good conferences, endless good church services, endless good worship environments, endless good worship songs, endless good uh, classes, endless good Bible studies, endless good resources and studies and study Bibles and preachers and endless. And so what you'll have to discipline yourself for is what's best. What's best, as Tim was talking about, what's best to balance between the intake and training and the outtake of going and getting it done? Good will be the enemy of your best. And so just examine your life and examine your priorities and just one by one eliminate the distractions that keep you from being able to invest in other people. The second thing, practice prayerful self-discipline. We are, a, I know that's like a dirty word, so maybe that's why you're not responding back to me. As I said discipline and, you know, that's bad and legalism and all that stuff. Rigorous self-discipline prayerfully. I want to encourage you to discipline yourself because we live very undisciplined lives. We're undisciplined with how much food we eat. Amen? All right, come on. We're undisciplined with how much time we spend on social media. We're undisciplined with how much time we spend on our tech and devices. We're undisciplined with our mouths. We're undisciplined with our complaining and our criticizing. We're undisciplined with every area of our life or most areas of our lives. And we just give ourselves over to kind of gluttonous consumption of whatever the thing is that we want. But if we want to make the maximum amount of impact on this world... It's going to require us to start disciplining our lives. And so what is the thing that you could just start with? What's that one area that I just could just start here and start disciplining myself in that area? Now, remember, it's the discipline of remembering Jesus. It's not the discipline of my own willpower and hard work, right? Look at the text, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Because I remember Jesus Christ, I realize I've got to discipline myself. Did you know one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control? Like if you're filled with the Spirit, self-control is part of that. It's there. And so practice prayerful self-discipline and then take it in and pass it on. Look upstream from your life. Is there someone older who has invested in you? Is there someone older investing in you? Look downstream from your life. Who are you supposed to invest in? And as you do that, here's the questions. Do I study and apply myself to the things that are being asked and committed to and within that relationship? And am I thinking faithfully that at some point I intend to go do something with this in the life of another person? Ask that about yourself and ask that about the people that you're in relationship with. Because with limited life to give, those are the people you give your lives to. They show up having applied and done what was committed to do together. And at some point you know they're going to go give this out to somebody else. Take it in. Pass it on. 
take it in, pass it on. That's what it's going to take for us to make disciples who make disciples. That's what it's going to take for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what it's going to take for the earth to be filled with the enjoyment of God's glory when he returns. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we bow. Help us remember Jesus. God, that's really enough. Help us remember Jesus. Help us remember this gospel. Help us to remember this death-to-life gospel. Help us to remember this word. Help us to remember this Jesus who gave us a gospel before the ages began and who has manifested himself, who is the Savior, who his appearing has brought life and immortality in his gospel. Help us to remember this Jesus that when we are faithless in those moments, you are faithful. Help us to remember that if we have died with him, life is ours forever and forever and forever. Help us to remember that enduring, like this text talks about enduring, means reigning one day forever with him. Help us to remember Jesus Christ and then go give our lives to others. Help us to be those kind of people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.